0: From oblong bales tied up with string to round bales with plastic covers, now one farm's trialling a different plastic-free baling method. So we thought, well, why
1: not go ahead and give it a go? And so, yeah, our first up hay bales have just been made and so far
2: very successful.
0: We'll hear from Claire Howlett at Wickton Farm in Herefordshire, and who's going to be delivering the Future Farm Resilience Programme in Lincolnshire.
2: LRSN is one of 11 farming support groups who will be delivering within the partnership project.
0: Amy Thomas, Head of Charity at LRSN, sm will tell us all about it harvest continues apace, and sean Sparling's here with an update kit dickinson reviews the grain markets and we'll see what the weather holds in store for us this week the week in agriculture this is the farming program With Steve Orchard. Good morning, hope you've had a good week. DEFRA has again rejected calls for financial help from the pig sector amid ongoing struggles with record costs and negative margins. The National Pig Association had requested a COVID 19 compensation scheme for the sector, but this has been turned down by the government, which claimed it would not be appropriate to implement a scheme similar to those in place in Scotland and Northern Ireland. The situation won't be helped by claims that over a half of small local abattoirs could close over the next five years unless actions taken to safeguard their futures. A group of growers are calling on DEFRA to support a new independent research agency following the ballot to end the AHDB statutory levy for the horticulture and potato sectors. The Growers Better Levy Group believes a collaborative approach to innovation and R&D as well as knowledge exchange will be more effective than what was provided under the AHDB umbrella. And a survey has revealed what we knew already, that visiting farmland improves our mental health. In a survey of 2,000 people from outside rural areas, nearly nine out of ten said visits to Britain's farmed landscape had improved their well-being, and nearly half said they valued the British countryside and farmland more since the pandemic began. And a separate survey for Farmers Guardian, as part of its hashtag Farming Can campaign, showed three-quarters of people feel fortunate to be able to access the British countryside and over half are now more likely to seek out leisure and tourism in the UK countryside than travelling abroad. So we must be doing something right. Plenty of hay baling to be done over the summer as usual. Will it be plastic-wrapped round bales as usual? Or like one farm in Herefordshire, will you make one step to helping the environment and use natural string this year? Claire Howlett, Wickton Farm in Bromyard. Good morning.
1: Good morning.
0: Why the change?
1: So we're not, we're not trying to do anything majorly different. We're just, well, over the past two years, we've become very aware of the impact sort of our daily decisions and choices have on the environment. And sometimes it's little, little changes, choices we make that can have a real impact. So we decided two years ago that every decision we make, we make a conscious effort to make that change happen, however small that might be. Um, so it might be putting the lawnmower away, not mowing the lawn, might be buying plastic free um, veg box from Riverford. And so it came around to haymaking time and we thought, well, what can we do differently? And, um, and so my brother started researching into sizal string um, and seeing whether we could use a natural sort of plant fiber string. To, to work with our hay, um, we got in touch with a company called Cordex, who were extremely helpful. We said to us, said to them, look, we want the aim of being plastic-free when we make our hay, and um, sort of they came back with lots of information, different types of sort of sizes of size or the strength, and um, you know a baler that might be able to work. And um, so we got got sort of looking at all the information and yeah it would work for us so we thought well why not go ahead and give it a go and so yeah our first lot of bells have just been made and so far very successful but uh...
0: is there a cost implication to this compared to plastic wrappers
1: Yes, there is. Um, so we were actually just looking. Well, we were comparing plastic string rather than wrapping, um, which is obviously a lot of alternate, you know, a lot of balers you see with string going through them, and it's the plastic, the blue fine plastic mm. string. Um, so it's, you're looking at about 20% more expensive to buy size or string.
0: If somebody's got a baler now that does what we've come to uh, regard as the conventional plastic, full plastic wrapper, would that have to be replaced or could it be upgraded to use natural string?
1: So obviously, if it's a baler using plastic wrapping, um, that won't be possible. But you can buy balers that do string. So you would have to buy one that, that, that has a string settings in it. But obviously, if a lot of them these days, you can get them for plastic string. And so you just have to change the settings for, for size or string.
0: All right, Claire, thank you very much for talking to us on the farming programme.
1: Thank you, Steve.
0: Sean Sparling's here now for the last time. For three weeks. The summer break beckons, so before you go off and enjoy a well-earned break, Sean, after four seasons in one week, weather-wise, how's the harvest looking?
3: Yes, good morning to you, Steve. Another week of extreme weather events then. 16 degree difference in just a week. Some torrential downpours again. I mean, I took 14 and a half millimetres of rain in just over 10 minutes on Tuesday tea time. Many people took more than that equally, though many got absolutely nothing at all. And it's typical, the last few seasons over the last end of July and into those first two weeks of August seems to now be wet, extreme, thundery downpours just like this. Just when we need sun and dry to ripen and finish these crops. And let us safely gather them in. No harm done as yet, as far as I'm aware, to oilseed rape in my area, anyway. Although I did speak to somebody in the northwest who, prior to a hailstorm that hit early part of this week, they were harvesting just over two tons to the acre of oilseed rape. It had pod stick on it. Um, it wasn't a pod shatter resistant variety, however, and they're now harvesting just over 0.4 tons to the acre. So what that goes to show is that the pod shatter resistance is probably more reliable for preventing. Pod shatter than pod stick. In the main, most of the all seed rape's under control. It's hanging on. A few dry days, that'll see the rape harvest finish. Yields variable, I'm told. Two and a half tonnes per hectare, quite widely the norm. Mind you, at 440 quid a, a tonne spot, that's still a pretty good return. Although, personally, 3.75 to about 4.4 tonnes to the hectare seems to be my range at the time of recording this. Plenty of cabbage stem flea beetle adults in the grain stores, though. Markedly up on last year and up on last week actually so vigilance is going to be required because that needs to be borne in mind that the 2022 harvest crops which will be going in fairly imminently I would guess may well suffer a little more than those that we put in last autumn it's a complex business cabbage stem flea beetle you drill early August and your all rape is exposed to these adults and therefore at least one more generation of adults and potential larvae than late August drillings, but the way the weather and the crops are looking out here in the field at the moment, it doesn't look like we're going to get an awful lot in the ground before mid-August and having said that, around 30 to 50 seeds per metre squared is what you want to do when you get there. Don't overdo the seed numbers, it's a false economy to double up. Um, The most important thing is warm soil soil to seed contact and crucially, moisture late August drilled with moisture will still be absolutely fine late August drilled and then three Weeks of dry through September is not fine. It's all about playing the percentages. Warm, damp, and more damp is absolutely perfect for all seed rape. Do you plant with a companion crop to help out against cabbage stem flea beetle as well? That's a question I'm getting asked a lot. Well, we tried that on farm last year. I planted all seed rape alone. I planted it with bursine clover in it, next to all seed rape with bursine clover and buckwheat, next to all seed rape with bursine clover, buckwheat, and fenugreek. And they've not been kept cut yet, but as of Thursday, the one with the least effect from cabbage stem flea beetle damage from start to finish of the season actually was the one that was just the oilseed rape alone so i'm just saying in a low cabbage stem flea beetle issue autumn as was last autumn companion crops seem to have been pretty much a waste of time we shall see you know be aware there will always be someone happy to sell you something that may or may not help that may or may not pay for itself that may or may not work as well as it this year as it did in trials last year there'll always be some in-house trials that prove you're a fool to dismiss these things and never an admission of fault either if it fails. There will always, however, be full credit taken if the results are favourable and the bespoke additional extra will always be the thing responsible for a good result if it's been used. Difficult. Two years ago, organic manures, especially duck and chicken manure, were apparently responsible for stopping cabbage stem flea beetle. The same year, longer stubbles, double seed rates, leaving volunteers, garlic extract were all all the things to use what we do know is that pyrethroids are a very limited usefulness anymore if you need to use a pyrethroid and you think the population of cabbage stem flea beetle on your farm is susceptible to that avoid applications in intense heat in intense sunlight in high wind the best results seem to come from low light intensity just after dusk in that crepuscular light and you have to hit the adults so unless you can see them don't spray them you know to be honest i think letting the predators do what they can keeping your fingers crossed is probably that's going to probably do as much good if not more good than an insecticide onto a population that's resistant. Warm and wet and getting the crop away is the key to it as we've just said but don't treat routinely with insecticides that's why we're in the mess we're in in the first place. Um, Winter barley then coming in three and a quarter to 3.9 tonnes per acre for me I'll take that in any year. Spring out, spring barley, spring wheat, winter wheat. We're watching the timings for glyphosate pre-harvest. Remember your thumbnail imprint in the grain if it holds that thumbnail imprint it's around 30% that's the timing. It's necessary if you've got high levels of green matter that the combine's not going to deal with. Spring oats last year as well. We saw the grain fit, but the straw was still very green and that caused all sorts of problems, not just with combining it, but when oats are ready, you really need to go and get them harvested. So speak to your advisor about whether or not to apply glyphosate to try and even up the straw and get that through if the the heads are starting to get ready. Seven to ten days after application is when you'd harvest. Pea's going off really quickly now. Remember, the top pods are going to be still green or yellow. The peas will be rubbery and hard to split. The middle pods will be pitted and brown. The peas won't split. that will still hard rubber. And the bottom pods will be like parchment and the peas will be quite hard. If they can go on their own, it's always better and it'll save you a few quid. Remember, there's an EMU and off-label approval for Spotlight, Carfentrazone on seed peas and seed beans, but only seed. Um, similar timing to glyphosate as well. It takes around two or three weeks to work. You need three star low drift nozzles, you've got an 18 metre aquatic buffer zone and 400 litres of water will give it the best chance of working. But do remember, it is only for use on seed crops, not human or animal consumption. Spring beans are a few weeks away yet. The pods need to be black and at the moment mine are absolutely nowhere near that. Potatoes as well. Remember late blight is now the main threat amongst other things of course now. So your choice of blight fungicides should target late blight as much as anything else. Sugar beet disease is hard to find. I've seen no virus either as yet. Remember you need to report any virus that you see to the BBRO if you do see it. Bitter bacterial leaf spot out there. Crispy brown edges to the older leaves very easy to confuse that with virus Cercospora and even manganese and magnesium deficiency so pester your advisor to go out there and work out what it is. You know thinking first fungicide probably around mid August for me unless things suddenly change I'm finding no disease so that's kind of where we're aiming at and take the opportunity to maintain levels of manganese and magnesium it costs pence. There's no need for extravagant bespoke brews of trace elements going in there. I've never seen seen tops quite as big or as green as they are this year so take that as a as a bonus and I think most sugar beet out in the field you could harvest it today and probably out yield anything you did last year and that'll do I'm away now for a couple of weeks apart from seven days with Covid in April I haven't had a day off since Christmas my work here is done so let's see what the next 21 days bring
0: Thank you, Sean. Have a wonderful break. Go and recharge those batteries. Last week, following encountering it at the Great Yorkshire Show, we talked about what's been dubbed the world's biggest combine, the John Deere X9, and it certainly is big and very clever, but at around £650,000, not cheap. Ripon Farm Services who sell the machine were understandably singing its praises, but what's a farmer's view? Andrew Ward.
4: They're saying it can do between 100 and its peak at to 130 tonnes per hour, which, which is a huge volume but of course when you start looking at bringing that amount of grain into a building and into a yard and into a storage area you have to have the infrastructure to deal with that as well and you, you need lots of tractors and trailers or lorries to bring it to the yard you need the dryers you need the storage area and backup in the yard so It's not only the combine you have to think about, it's the whole operation that goes with it.
0: And is this machine actually going to fit in most of our fields?
4: The thing is with it, the minute you start having telegraph poles in a field, and the odd tree, which of course there's lots of trees around the, around the area that have got preservation orders on them, and that will slow the combine down on smaller fields, there's no doubt mm. about it.
0: Talking to Ripon Farm Services, they were giving a guideline figure that a, a really a farm needs to be a minimum of 3,000 acres to make it viable.
4: Yeah, that figure ha- has been branded about for a number of years, that these big combines now, whether you get 40 foot or 45 foot on the front cutting the crop, the header as we call it, that mo- most farms now need to be 3,000 acres to sort of fully justify one of those machines. John Deere have done really well in keeping it within this a certain size, but it's the, obviously the cutting width at the front is the one that cuts the crop and gets the actual output and, and cuts it and puts it into the, uh, you know, into the combine. But then, but then mentioning that, Steve, there's a huge amount of technology on that cutter, on the header at the front. Mm. You know, It's not just a knife going backwards and forwards. There's lots of self-leveling undulation. It's, it, it can, the sides of the header can lift up. They can drop down for coping and undulation. So there's a lot of technology throughout the whole of the machine.
0: But it is still £600,000.
4: Well, when you think about <laughs> it, yes. You imagine if you're going to put that and buy a house for 650000 you would have some fairish property.
0: I mean, it is an incredible price for a machine that really is only actually in action for a maximum of a couple of months a year, isn't it? It,
4: it is, and, and this is why they're saying you need to have a minimum of, of, of 3,000 acres um, for that one machine and, and why they're really targeting farms that might have two medium to large combines to swap it for this one larger one. But, of course, the problem with that is then if you have two combines and one breaks down, you're still able to keep harvesting and keep getting some crop in the yard. You have one combine and it breaks down. Everybody's stood, not just the combine driver. Everybody concerned with the harvest operation is stood. So, you know, there there are a few trade-offs.
0: Many thanks for that, Andrew Ward. Lincolnshire Rural Support Network are to run the Future Farm Resilience Programme in Lincolnshire. Let's find out what that's all about from LRSN Head of Charity, Amy Thomas. Amy, good morning. Good
2: morning. Good morning.
0: Now LRSN announced a few days ago that the organisation is to deliver the Future Farm Resilience Fund programme in Lincolnshire. Can you tell us a little bit about what the programme's all about?
2: Yes, yeah, absolutely. We're really excited. We're delivering the programme in partnership with the Prince's Countryside Fund. LRSN is one of 11 farming support groups who will be delivering within the partnership project. And really what we're going to be trying to do is delivering free skills development workshops and one-to-one advice tailored to help farmers navigate the changes that are brought about by the coming agricultural transition plan
0: okay so this is business skills we're talking about particularly
2: yeah absolutely so what we want to do is make sure that people fully understand the changes that are about to happen and then think about where and when they may need to adapt their business models to try and help them to be as resilient as they possibly can moving into the future
0: And you say this could be delivered as a one-to-one. Is that how it's generally going to be, or will farmers be attending classes in one way or another?
2: There's going to be a bit of a mix. There will be two workshops that are compulsory for people to attend. Uh, Those are going to be around business skills and around environmental management. And then afterwards, there will be a a series of about four workshops that we will tailor to people's needs, really. So those haven't been set in stone. And then there's the one-to-one support. So Apart from the compulsory workshops, farmers can dip in and out of the the additional workshops and then the one-to-one support is there for them to tackle anything that they perhaps want a bit more detailed support on.
0: Okay, and who is this aimed at? Any particular sector?
2: No, not at all. We are aiming at all sectors, so anyone is more than welcome to to give us a shout. We need to recruit 50 farm businesses, and we're working to quite a tight timescale on this one. The project kicks off on the 18th of August, and we need to make sure we've delivered everything by the end of February.
0: And you're working, you say, with the Prince of Wales Countryside Fund. What's the link? How are you working together?
2: It's been fantastic, actually. This is the first opportunity we've had as an organisation to work on a national collaborative bid in this way. And working with the Countryside Fund has given us the opportunity as a small charity to access funding that, as a small charity, we would never have been able to do so. You know, on our own, we would be too small, really, to be successful against some of the big players for applying for the DEFA funding. But as a partnership of 11 small charities in the Prince's Countryside Fund, we've been able to be successful
0: Excellent. And you've got funding for this. Does that mean there's no cost to the farmers taking part or do they have to pay something towards it?
2: No, it's absolutely free for the farmers at point of contact.
0: Okay, And what's their commitment? Time, I guess?
2: Their commitment is time. And as I mentioned earlier, there are two workshops that are compulsory. So they do need to commit to doing those. We are hoping with all our fingers crossed that we can deliver those face to face, but we will plan to deliver them virtually and make them available as recordings as well, just to make sure we've got all bases covered.
0: Amy, this sounds an excellent programme. How do I find out more information
2: well, there will be some more information on our website, which is lrsn.co.uk. Um, and if you are interested in participating, if you could email us at infolrsn.co.uk at just to say that you're interested, we can then get back to you with some more information.
0: Amy, excellent. Good luck with the programme. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you. Time to go to market now.
5: How have they been behaving this week? Open Fields,
0: Kit Dickinson, good morning.
5: Well, good morning, Steve. The US spring wheat crop tour kicked off in North Dakota this week with the initial reports suggesting yields down 35% on 2019. This is due to insect damage and crops cut for silage. There was no tour in 2020 due to COVID. This has been the talking point that the Canadian wheat crop, which has suffered from similar drought conditions and record temperatures, will now be down 20 to 25 million metric tonnes. Russian wheat yields have started to trend down as their harvest moved northwards into the spring wheat areas which normally yield less and which continues to be the grip of a drought production forecast which have already dropped off 80 million metric tons and some are talking it will be closer to 75 million metric tons if spring wheat yields are disappointing. Kazakhstan wheat production prospects are also moving lower but on the flip side production in Romania, Bulgaria and the Ukraine is potentially four to five million metric tons higher than the current USDA projections. Taking all of the above into consideration, it is possible that global wheat production is net 15 million metric ton down on the current USDA forecasts. Global demand has been slow in part due to the late EU harvest and Russian taxes, although there are signs that it is picking up following a flurry of activity this week, with Egypt, Turkey, Pakistan, Jordan all announcing tenders. The consumer buying pattern has been concentrated on the nearby requirements, having been told by the USDA in their first global supply and demand forecast in May that there would be plenty of everything to go around, which assumed perfect growing conditions and yields. Mother Nature unfortunately did not receive this message and puts the USDA in a difficult position when compiling future reports. Moving on to barley. Winter barley harvest continues with perhaps 70% now cut across the board. Mixed results seen on quality with varied yield across the country. Mixed weather has hampered progress lastly, with the forward picture looking unsettled also. Some early spring barleys look set to come in this weekend, weather permitting, as some areas have not seen the rainfall which other people have suffered. The broader picture sees mixed results so far on the continent. Domestic markets have been concentrating on filtering out the quality parcels of winter barley and will be keen to see what early cuts of spring barley offer in terms of quality. Domestic values have increased, tracking gains on the feed complex. Oil seed rope this week. Week on week values have picked up. The main driver has been the reduction in Canadian canola, and some now see it closer to 15 million metric tonnes down from the original ideas of 19 to 20 million tonnes. Along with this, strong gains in the veg oil complex have seen soybean oil and palm oil both have good gains this week following reports that blending mandates in Argentina were going to be lowered to between three and five percent down from 10 percent which would have weighed on the complex along with a lack of buying interest from the Chinese. The market had look set to follow the weaker trend before receiving impetus from the ongoing weather issues in North America impacting both the soil crop and reports of the ongoing canola concerns. Closer to home, harvest is very stop-start with mixed weather that we have experienced across the UK this week. Perhaps two weeks behind the usual, adding support to the market in the near term and looking for available parcels to move to the crush as soon as possible. Matif Futures see the nearby August contract drop off the board with focus now switching forward to November. Prices this week, wheat for August, 172 to 175. November, 177 to 179. February 180 to 182, May 183 to 185, and milling wheat premiums are circa 18 pounds. Feed barley for August is 150 to 152, November 156 to 159, February 160 to 162, and May 162 to 164. Molting premiums are currently 25 pounds for 185 nitrogen. And finally, all seed rate for August is 435 to 438. November 444 to 447, February 447 to 449, and May 449 to 452.
0: Thanks as ever. Kit Dickinson from Openfield, who can be contacted via openfield.co.uk. The Farming Programme. Five day forecast. Well, another mixed week with some sunshine, some cloud, and plenty of showers, but it will be calmer with light winds all week, barely touching double figures MPH, and variable as the week goes on. Today looks cooler with light rain, highs of 15 Celsius. Monday, similar, but a couple of degrees cooler and less rain. Tuesdays, warmer again with highs in the bottom 20s and some rain later in the day. And the rest of the week sees more rain every day, highs in the upper teens and slightly stronger winds from the southwest, but again, only just in double figures. Finally for this week, congratulations to Callum Burrell from North Holland Young Farmers who's just beaten Olympic and world champions to be crowned the new world sport track champion at the Clay Pigeon Shooting Association's World English Sporting and Sport Track Championships. Callum's victory also gained him the title of junior world sport track champion. Brilliant. Well done, Callum. Next week we'll talk fleeces, potatoes and find out about a new resource to help children learn about the
4: Countryside Code. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a good week on farm.